Welcome to Long Covid Doctor, an educational series for sufferers of Long Covid. I'm Dr. Tim Robinson, formerly a GP for 30 years, now a GP lead for three NHS Long Covid clinics and a GP clinical lead in Long Covid across the southwest of England. This episode is on mast cell activation and Long Covid. In part one, I will talk about the symptoms, the diagnosis, investigations and causes. And in part two, I'll talk about the treatments, the management and the outcomes. References, links and resources are in the show show notes below. Any advice, diagnoses, treatments that I mention should only be considered after discussion with your own GP or qualified health professional. So here we go. Mast cell activation and long COVID. So firstly, the context, the background. Mast cell activation syndrome is a common condition in long COVID, usually abbreviated to MCAS, which is how I'll refer to it from now on in in this talk. Um, Just so you know, it's often also abbreviated to mast cell activation by itself, i.e. without the syndrome word on the end. So I may use that phrase also. So MCAS, um, as I say, in my experience in the three long COVID clinics I work in, is extremely common having a great impact on those patients. MCAS symptoms may have been present before having COVID, but worse since then, or the symptoms may be completely new, never experienced before, and only happening um, since having COVID, now long COVID. So, what is mast cell activation? What does it cause? What symptoms does it produce? Before I get into that, I want to quickly cover two things. Firstly, mast cells themselves uh, and what they are and what they do. So mast cells of mast cells activation, what they are and what they do. And secondly, I want to remind you of the general causes of long COVID and where mast cell activation fits into that whole picture. And then I'll get into MCAS itself, the symptoms, the effects, etc. So firstly, what are mast cells? Mast cells are part of the immune system, the system that fights infection. The immune system is made up of the innate, the first line immune system, and the adaptive, the second line or learned immune system. The innate immune system, the primitive first line, what we call non-specific part of the immune system, is a selection of white blood cells circulating in the bloodstream. And these include cells like the natural killer cells, the basophils, the neutrophils, the macrophages, and wait for it, the mast cells. So mast cells are distributed all around the body. So not only in the bloodstream, but also in the tissues um, throughout the body, the connective tissues, the tissues that connect all the cells together. 
um, surrounding the blood vessels, the nerves, the lymphatics, the muscles, and all tissues, all connective tissues. Um, they're particularly densely um, collected at the boundaries between the external world and the internal world. Um, and what I mean by that is the skin and the respiratory system and the gastrointestinal lining. So obviously in those three areas, um, the external, those three areas, if you like, are a barrier um, between the external world and the internal world, the internal, internal world of the body. They're also found in highish concentration in the brain. Uh, especially around the primitive brain stem, the heart of the brain, the hypothalamus and the limbic system, and also the choroid plexus. These are all part of the brain's immune system. So that's what they are. What do they do? What are their functions? Well, basically they're involved in allergy. They're involved in defense against pathogens viruses and bacteria, and they're involved in wound healing and angiogenesis, creation of new blood vessels. In the presence of an allergen or a virus or a bacteria, mast cells are triggered. The cell wall breaks open. This is known as degranulation. And inflammatory mediators from within the mast cells are released into the circulation and the tissues. Each mast cell contains in excess of, of uh, a thousand what we call pro-inflammatory chemicals, molecules or proteins. Pro-inflammatory means encouraging inflammation. So these include histamine, cytokines, chemokines, prostaglandins, leukotrienes, platelet activation factor, tryptase, protease, and many more, but mostly histamine. So there we are. So basically a brief recap. Mast cells are present everywhere in the tissues and the bloodstream. They recognize and are activated by foreign substances, invaders, such as viruses, such as the coronavirus. Then they release their chemicals that fire up inflammation. Now, I'm just, I'm just going to give you a quick reminder of the general causes of long COVID and see how MCAS, mast cell activation, fits into that whole picture. So here we go. And you may well, I'm sure you are familiar with a lot of these um, causes for for uh, long COVID. But basically, the COVID infection, as we know, was initially thought to be a simple respiratory illness, as it is, after all, one of the coronaviruses, one of the common cold viruses, COVID-19, now referred to as SARS-CoV-2. But with research, it was found to be much more serious than this, causing inflamed blood vessels, a process known as endotheliitis, throughout the body, resulting in many 
pathologies, um, much damage uh, of long COVID. And the list is long. Here they are. There's basically overactive inflammatory response, the innate immune system, as, as, as I was explaining, the primitive first-line immune system, excessive pro-inflammatory factors, those inflammatory factors that encourage inflammation, IL-6, interleukin-6, 1, um, interferon gamma, TNF, uh, tissue necrosis factor alpha. These are all cytokines. And then you've probably heard of the cytokine storm with all these excessive cytokines that created a storm. Um, and you could say that's, you know, basically using an analogy, too much fuel on the fire. Too many cytokines, too much fuel. And then there was the excessive activation of mast cells as part of that excessive inflammatory response, releasing their inflammatory chemicals, that long list of chemicals, histamine and all the rest that I talked about. So thank you very much, Marcel. So you've just dumped even more fuel on the fire. Um, and then other causes, um, consequences of the COVID and hence the long COVID is um, and as a consequence of the excessive inflammation is the sticky blood, hypercoagulable state. And that leads to microclots, microthrombi in the lungs, the brain and kidneys and throughout the whole body, um, throughout the microvascular circulation in the heart, the coronary arteries, um, the mini blood vessels around the small nerve fibers out in the periphery. So there we are. All that inflammation leading to more damage because of more fuel. As an offshoot of that, unfortunately, is the dysfunction of the immune system, the autoantibody production in autoantibodies to organs, to tissues, yet more inflammation, yet more fuel. And then there's dysregulation of the immune system with the um, reduction of the cytokines, bigger pardon, cytotoxic T cells. And so well, that's not good. The cytotoxic T cells are meant to be attacking virus. But if they've been reduced, then if you like, using my painful um, analogy now, if you like, there are no firefighters, there's no fire brigade to put the fire, the infection out. And then to make matters worse, there's probably viral persistence, you know, in various parts of the body, in the gut and elsewhere, as well as the possibility of viral reactivation, like in shingles, um, just to stoke up the inflammation even more, yet more fuel to the fire. And then there's the collateral damage by the virus itself directly to the organs, the heart, the lung, the joints, yet more fuel. Um, so any one individual with long COVID may have one or some of all the above or all of the, all of the above. Uh, but the net result is dysregulation, dysfunction, damage, disturbance generally of all the systems, the immune system, the, the, the brain, the neurological, the cardiovascular, the heart, the gut, the, the, the ductless glands, the endocrine organs, the organs. Basically, a pretty, pretty good, perfect storm. And so there we are. That's where MCAS fits into the whole picture of long COVID. MCAS is part of the general overactive 
inflammatory response. So, what are the patients with MCAS, mast cell activation, experiencing? What are the symptoms and associated symptoms of mast cell activation, MCAS? So remember, mast cells are everywhere, okay? Uh, but especially in the skin, lungs, and gut. And so many of the symptoms um, of MCAS are in those areas, not surprisingly. So the skin. So common symptoms, MCAS symptoms in the skin are hives, urticaria, itching, pruritus, they call it flushing, and a burning feeling. Okay, so that's the skin. Respiratory tract, the lungs. So there's congestion of the upper airways. So runny nose, sneezing, like in hay fever. There's wheeziness, okay, and often cough. And then the third area where there's loads of upmast cells, and that is the gut. So the lower, so patients, when they, when their MCAS kicks off, um, they have lower gut problems, such as diarrhea, colicky cramps, irritable bowel syndrome type symptoms like distension. But also there is, there are mast cells in the upper gut. And so there's nausea and there's reflux, reflux, acid reflux coming back up to the, up to the esophagus. Um, throat tightness, swallowing difficulties. And more than that, um, and attributed to MCAS, and we're seeing this a lot, new food intolerance and sensitivity. You know, patients saying, I've never been, you know, I've always been able to eat everything. I've never had any sensitivities to anything, but ever since I've had COVID, I can't tolerate wheat or dairy or weird things like just lamb or pork or, or whatever. So, so single entities. New food intolerances and sensitivity, really very common. But there are also other problems because, like I said, you know, mast cells are everywhere. And so, you know, therefore, you know, mast cells, you know, so in the brain, um, can contribute to lead to headache or and contribute and, and make brain fog worse. It can cause numbness and paresthesia, irritation of, um, and, and the sort of, uh, of the peripheral nerves, you know, loss of sensation, tingling, pins and needles, that can all be due to mast cell activation. But, you know, it can be due to other reasons as well, but it is a contributory factor, definitely. Um, mast cell activation can happen in the musculoskeletal system, the joints, the muscle pains, joint inflammation, redness, also they can contribute to lightheadedness, dizziness, faint feelings, uh, can contribute to palpitations. Um, and there are many crossover symptoms with dysautonomia. Um, mast cell activation and dysautonomia share many symptoms, strangely. Just as an aside, what is dysautonomia? Well, I cover this more fully in my talk on long COVID dysautonomia and POTS. But briefly, dysautonomia, what is it? Um, well, it's all in the word. Dysautonomia, dis, short for dysfunction. Autonomia, short, 
taken from autonomic nervous system, the automatic involuntary nervous system. So dysautonomia is dysfunction, dysfunction of the autonomic nervous system. And again, just sort of um, touch on it briefly. What does the autonomic nervous system do? What does it control? The cardiovascular system, heart and pulse from blood pressure, the respiratory system that controls the rate and depth of breathing, the gastrointestinal system to control um, enzyme secretion and gut motility, the movement of passage of food down the gut. Um, others, um, uh, other sort of uh, uh, functions of the autonomic nervous system is temperature regulation, control of thirst, bladder control, bowel control, um, eye reflexes, sleep, balance, a lot. Okay, and as I say, this is all automatic. This is all stuff that happens and functions that happen without us realizing automatic functions. And so if the autonomic nervous system isn't working properly, this leads to symptoms in all those systems, causing the symptoms of dysautonomia. Like I said, many of which are almost identical with mast cell activation symptoms, hence the crossover of the two conditions. Often they are indistinguishable. But overall, the net effect of mast cell activation um, is a whole swathe of symptoms across all the systems throughout the body. So how do we go about helping? We need to make a full medical assessment, first of all, to get a diagnosis. We need to take a standard history and examination to get the diagnosis. Specifically, we're looking for possible differential diagnoses and to rule out anything more worrying, any red flags. We don't want to be, as we call it, COVID blind, blinded by COVID. Or because you've had COVID, now long COVID, it doesn't mean that a new symptom is due to that. It might be there by coincidence. And so we must always be careful and thorough Firstly, a standard detailed, detailed history. What exactly is the patient experiencing? The range of symptoms and all their features. The exacerbating and relieving factors and how they are affecting the patient. Their impact on the activities of their everyday living. Part of the history is finding out past medical history that those patients may have. And the past medical history that's relevant to mast cell activation is hay fever. Okay, why? Because hay fever is all to do with release of histamine triggered by pollen, yeah, or other things. Um, so a past history of hay fever is very relevant um, because it's almost like patients are saying, actually, I've got my hay fever symptoms again, but there's no, but it's not, it's the spring. It's, it's, it's not the spring, um, and I've only had them since COVID. Other symptoms or, uh, that, you know, may be relevant are, you know, someone who has recurrent, um, sinusitis and postnasal drip, patients with asthma, patients with eczema and hives, remembering, um, hives is very common in, in mast cell activation, patients with IBS, irritable bowel syndrome and indigestion. 
we would like to know about medications where they've um, whether they've tried any medications. You know, a lot of pe- people have put two and two together and thinking this seems a bit like mm, some sort of uh, allergic situation. Have they tried antihistamines or inhalers yet? And then on to the examination, governed by the symptoms and the history. But how do we actually diagnose mast cell activation? What can we measure? Well, basically, it all comes down to the story. Mast cell activation is a clinical diagnosis based on the symptoms and the history. The skin symptoms, the respiratory symptoms, the gut symptoms, the examination skin. We can, you can, um, uh, there's a condition called dermatitis dermatographism, uh, dermatographia, where if you sort of generally stroke, say, the forearm and leaves a red line, that is very, po- that, it, that would be a positive sign for an allergic type of process happening. So, muscle activation, that is one thing you can do. You probably want to listen to the chest, listen, maybe do a peak flow, thinking the wheeziness aspect to it. Um, Abdominal symptoms, you'd want to do a abdominal palpation, feel the tummy. But there are no actual practical tests available. Um, mast cell activation is not strictly a laboratory diagnosis. The formal diagnostic criteria of mast cell activation syndrome is stated as uh, multiple symptoms in keeping with the diagnosis in at least two organ or tissue systems, with response or partial response to antihistamines and mast cell stabilizers. So, um, that is the sort of, if you like, formal diagnosis in the, the international criteria for mast cell activation syndrome. But there are notice in that formal diagnosis there's no reference to measuring something um, to diagnose it. Like if you're anemic, you know, your your hemoglobin level is below, what, nine or something, nine grams. Um, and, and so the diagnosis of, of anemia is your hemoglobin being low. Mast cell activation, um, we don't measure things as a rule. However, just to confuse and for completeness sake, confuse the issue, but for completeness sake, there are tests for mast cell activation that some people, some patients ask about and they ask for. However, these tests are really just for research purposes, not easily accessible and they're very expensive. So the blood tests um, and urinary tests. So blood tests in mast cell activation, they're usually negative or maybe only just borderline in, in muscle activation due to long COVID. There's the serum tryptase and there's the chromogranin A. Okay. So basically, you know, these have to be t- taken at the time of an acute flare of muscle activation. Um, it's not really useful, um, and as I said, it's usually normal in mast cell activation due to long COVID, um, as opposed to 
the other other sort of um, conditions that it is used for, and that is masto, mastocytosis, but also um, acute anaphylaxis. So anaphylactic shock, you go into casualty and a blood is sent off, a blood test is sent off for tryptase, and it's elevated, okay? And it's persistently elevated in mastocytosis, but after an anaphylactic shock, it is elevated. Uh, <clears throat> so... Blood tests really don't come into the into the equation. Urinary tests, basically you have to do a 24-hour um, urine sample looking for the chemicals and mediators of mast cells. Um, again, in itself, not easy because the sample has to be sent to the lab, frozen. Um, it's difficult, expensive, and only a few labs do these tests. Okay, but the, they're looking for, you know, um, breakdown products of histamine and methyl histamine, prostaglandins, leukotrienes. These are sort of um, the inflammatory mediators. And so, as I said, the diagnosis of mast cell activation, MCAS, is what we call a clinical diagnosis. A diagnosis based on the symptoms and history. Having ruled out other diagnoses, serious and less serious. And so that brings me to the end of the first part of my talk on mast cell activation. In the second part, I will talk about the uh, the treatments and the management and the outcomes of mast cell activation. I hope you found that helpful. Um, as I mentioned at the start, any advice, diagnoses, treatments that I mention should only be considered after discussion with your own GP or qualified uh, health professional. So in the meantime, until you tune into part two, which I hope you do, I wish you well. I wish you well in your long COVID recovery. Cheerio. Cheerio.